Thank you, thank you. Well, this morning we're going to continue on our series Daniel, in Daniel, in the book of Daniel. We've been talking about uh, Culture Shift has been the title of the series. We're in week four. It's been a, uh, to me, it's been a great series because it couldn't have come at a more perfect time for us. Amen? I mean, this is like, this is the series for now. Uh, it's a word from God for us right now. And so the, the question we've been answering in the series so far is how do you live godly in an ungodly culture? How do you live godly in an ungodly culture? I've, I've given you examples every week of how some major company or some famous person has come out. And it's just been timely. We had the mayor of Houston. We had Starbucks make their announcements. We had all these things. And so the, what's happening right now today, in case you're unaware, is the culture around us is shifting. It's changing. Back in the day, you would get credits for being a Christian. Today, you get demerits. Simply put, right? What used to be called good is now called bad. And what used to be called bad is now called good. Right? And it's all around us. And if we don't wake up and see what's going on around us, because the Bible says you need to be aware. If you're not aware of what's going on around you, you're going to follow into this shift and you're going to wake up one day and realize... What happened? Am I saved? Do I see? Do I even still love? Does Jesus even still love me? If you're not careful, you'll you'll follow into the shift almost like in a trance if you're not aware of what's going on around you. So as a church, we just want to say, "Hey, <laughs> something ain't right." Right? Just want to bring a little bit of attention. You ought to see your eyes now. You're like, you needed that. Amen. So today we're talking about the writing on the wall. And so previously we've been talking about how Daniel and his cohorts, all of his buddies were captured and brought to Babylon. And in a flash, a moment of time, they were taken from one culture that was godly and brought into another culture that was ungodly, and then they were forced to go to Babylon University and learn a new language, a new way of thinking, new traditions, learn about all these new gods and how to do things different. They were at the age of 15 when they were captured. And the, and the Bible says, the scholars believe that Daniel was, was, was in Babylon until he was 90 years old. We've talked about how he lost everything in that moment. He lost his chance for a future. He lost his hopes and dreams. He lost his family. He lost all these things. And we talked about how instead of getting bitter, Daniel got better and he he became more godly in an ungodly culture, right? Because you know, the darker it gets, the brighter we get. The darker it gets around you, the brighter you should be. Come on, somebody. So we've been talking about those things. And last week, Daniel's been interpreting dreams, been telling, remember King Nebuchadnezzar? He told Nebuchadnezzar, he says, man, he interpreted, Nebuchadnezzar said, I had a dream. I want you to tell me the dream and the interpretation. And nobody else could except Daniel. Daniel comes up. He tells him exactly what he dreamed. He tells him the interpretation of the dream, which is a warning from God. And Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face and worships Daniel's God in a moment. Nebuchadnezzar had a God experience. You know, you can have a God experience and not ever turn your life around. 
right? Some people live from experience to experience, and, they, and so they go from like, it's almost like being in the emergency room trying to get shocked back to life. You kind of go, and then you wait for the next experience of God, and you, right? Instead of walking in a relationship with God where you're just naturally alive, Right? So then we talked about how uh, last week, how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire because they wouldn't bow down to what the culture said they needed to bow down to. Their life was at stake. Their hopes and dreams, everything they knew was at stake. And they were like, they got in trouble for not bowing down the first time the instruments played. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, you need to bow down. He's like, you don't even need to give us a second chance because we're not going to bow down because we're not going to worship other gods. They took a stand. You see, you got to know what you're going to stand for before you have an opportunity to stand. You need to know what your convictions are before your convictions ever get tested. Don't try to find your convictions when you're in the middle of a test. Right? That's like trying to put your seatbelt on when the car's wrecking. Come on. Right? So then we see, we see Jesus shows up in the fire. There's four men, the guys that brought him down. They died on the way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come out of the fire, don't even smell like smoke, not even singe, nothing. And Nebuchadnezzar again falls on his face, and he, he pulls a decree out. He says, everybody needs to worship Daniel. I mean, Shadrach and him is God. They need to worship him. Father, he's the mighty God, this and that. And then if you read the story on, Nebuchadnezzar ends up spending seven years in the pasture, eating grass with the cattle because of his pride, because of his arrogance. And you go, and also I look at this story and I go, man, dude, you seen God work in the natural like I've never seen in my life. I mean, this is like big. It's on the big stage. This is political. It was the greatest power on the earth at, time, at that time, Babylon was. And God did miracles right in front of him. And he, he would fall on his face and say, God is the God, but he would never change his heart. I go, man, you, you've seen it. But pride kept coming back up and arrogance kept coming back up. And God humbled him. And so we pick the story up today in chapter 5 of Daniel. I encourage you just to read the book of Daniel through a couple of times. It's, it's just a real good book to read. And, and today we're talking about King Belshazzar. Now, King Belshazzar, the Bible calls him the son of Nebuchadnezzar, but he was actually the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And so Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And, and let's pick the story up in verse 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple of Jerusalem. So that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. 
The king watched watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to, to be brought in and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made, and, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. What a crazy story. Belshazzar's throwing a party. He's having a good time. He invites a thousand of his closest friends. The Bible says his wives and his concubines. <laughs> That'd be a tough party to be at. <laughs> but that was how they rolled back in that day, right? So he calls in all these people. Man, he's wanting to put on a big shindig for all of his friends and look important. And, and he's, getting, he's getting arrogant. And he's getting prideful. It's one thing to have a party which some say was like an event because there's kids in here. I won't say the name of it, but it was a a type of event that some people have. You can figure out later, ask me at the church, but it was, it's, it's just gross. And, and it was, so it was one of these things going on, all these wives and concubines and friends and all this stuff. And it's bad enough that they were having that. Then he says, he gives the orders. He says, I want you to bring in the gold and silver goblets that were taken from Jerusalem from God's temple. (laughs) You see, it's kind of like a, you know, being bad wasn't bad enough. Let's be real bad. It's kind of, it's kind of like he looked at the face of God and said, now what you going to do? You see, sometimes our actions say to God, now what you going to do? Our culture today is looking back at God and saying, now what you going to do? Just like Belshazzar is doing in this moment. And so the servants bring out the wine, the, the goblets. These are just, these are cups that were used in the, in the worship of God and in the temple of God. And, and they, were, they were stolen from the, basically from the house of God at that time. And he's wanting to bring them into his party. And it talks about the condition of his heart and where he's at. I mean, he's so puffed up and so proud. He's, the, he's the, the king of the most powerful nation in the world at this time. But boy, it sure changed when the hand showed up, huh? Anybody ever used to fear your mama's hand or your daddy's hand? I remember being 16 years old, leaving the church parking lot, could just fresh out of youth group, and I said something stupid to my mama. And it was highly disrespectful. And I saw the hand of God come across the car. I caught the back end of it. Those knuckles right there landed about right here. And my mama was a big-boned woman. Beautiful, but big-boned. And when she hit you, it hurt. You hear me? 16-year-old boy full of pride. She knocked it out the window. It was like, pow! And I cried all the way home at 16 years old. I've seen and been afraid of hands. God's hand shows up in the middle of this party and it writes on the wall. All they see is a hand. (laughs) Talk about getting sober quick, huh? It's like, man, I lost my buzz. I lost everything. (laughs) Leave it to God to mess my buzz up. And the king gets scared and he starts shaking. He gets weak. 
So what does he do? He does the same thing that his grandfather did. He calls in all the wise people, right? All the wise people of the region and say, hey, come in here. I want you to figure this out. (laughs) And they can't. Let's pick the story back up. Verse 13. So Daniel was brought before the king and the king said to him, are you Daniel, one of the exiles, my father, the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence and understanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretation and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Here comes Daniel. When everything else fails, who do they call? The man of God. Do you know that at your workplace, in your family and in your environment, when nobody else knows what to do, they're going to call upon the man or woman of God? And if that's you, you need to be ready. Amen. You need to be ready to walk in the power and the spirit and the wisdom that God gives you. Right. Back the story up a little bit. He's, he's basically just dumbfounded, doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know where to go. His astrologers, all of his wise men cannot solve the problem, cannot read the writing on the wall. His, his mom hears about what's going on and she comes in and she says, hey, listen, there was this guy. His name is Daniel. Your grandfather used to use him. (laughs) They're tapping into resources now. Your grandfather used to use him and he's, he's a man of God and he can tell you what this means. Go get him. And so then Daniel comes in and then the king offers him (laughs) stuff. Well, the world's offering some some stuff right now, huh? They're making some offers to us. It's kind of like Satan when he was in the desert with Jesus and he was tempting Jesus. I'll give you power over this. I'll give you this. If you'll just, I'll give you this. The world's making a lot of promises today. Be wise. Don't take it. Don't take it. Verse 23. Instead, Daniel comes in and Daniel basically says to him, he says, look, I I don't need your stuff, but I will tell you what it says. And then Daniel starts to give him a rebuke. (laughs) Daniel goes, don't you remember your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar? Oh, yeah, I remember. my. Do you remember when your grandfather was missing out of the photo album for seven years? You remember when you used to ask your mama, where's grandpa for these seven years? He says, your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, was prideful just like you. And he came against God. And because he did, he was in the pasture for seven years. So Daniel comes in with the authority and the experience. And he says, do you not remember what happened to your grandfather? Do you not remember that when he wasn't humble, he was in trouble? Do you not know better? You ever look at your kids and say, you know better than that. Right? I mean, they do something. I just give them that look. You knew better than that. But, 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 no, but, but nothing. You knew better than that. That's what Daniel's saying. You knew better. Verse 23 says, instead, 
You have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his, from his template brought to you. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot be seen or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Come on, that's giving them the what for right there, right? This is the inscription that was written. So Daniel interprets it. It's four words. It says, many, many, tekel, parsin. Or some versions of the Bible say perez. This is what the words mean. So Daniel's getting ready to start interpreting them. So he says many. The word many means numbered. King Belshazzar I want to tell you that God is saying to you today, your days are numbered. In other words, there's an end to your kingdom. The thing that you thought was going to last forever and never come to an end has a deadline. It has an expiration date. Your days are numbered. So let me give you three warnings from the handwriting on the wall. Number one, we forget that our days are numbered. Come on, somebody. We forget that our days are numbered. You, want to, you, you get reminded when you go to a funeral, right? You get reminded when something tragic happens of how our days are numbered, right? Hebrews 9, 27 says that man is destined to die once and after this, they will face judgment. It's a truth that we need to be reminded of frequently and often is that our days are numbered, right? Because when you've got plenty of something, you tend to waste more of it, don't you? Come on. When you get your tax return, what are you doing? Oh, don't get all religious and hyper-spiritual <laughs> hyper this morning. When some of you are you're looking for your tax return. Some of you are already counting your eggs before they even hatch. Right? You're going, man, when we get our tax return, we're going to do this. We're going to throw a party. We're going to... When you got plenty, you waste plenty, right? So when you're believing and you're not thinking that your days are numbered, you're living like you've got endless amount of days. Right? You start thinking things like, well, I'll get to that tomorrow. Or that's not so important. Or this or that. But when you get reminded that your days are numbered, it changes your thinking. And you go, oh, shoot, I better get busy. Right? I mean, I was reminded this week, my oldest got her driver's permit. First sign that you're getting old. Here's your sign, Pastor Jamie. You're getting old. And I'm going, man, she's 15. I only got like four or five more years of brainwashing I can do. I better get busy, right? I was reminded that time is flying by. We forget that our days are numbered. How different does life look if the doctor walks in and says, hey, you got 30 days to live? What would you change in that moment? You need to think about that. What would you change if the doctor says, okay, you got 30 days to live? I'll give you a year. You got a year to live. What would you change? What would you do different? You ought to write that down. You know why? Because that's what you need to change anyway. Amen. You just need to go, okay, all right, if I died 
in 2016 at Christmas and make yourself a list. And you know what you do? You live that way. Live that way. You know, it's, it's tough to be a Christian around here because we live in Cajun country, right? I mean, our famous thing, every sign you see just about says, laissez le bon temps rouler. Let the good times roll, Shad. Forget about the clock. Don't worry about Jesus coming back. Just partay, have a good time. It's all about a good time, right? All about a good time. Let's pass a good time, man. Let's keep on going to the next good time. But we forget. Belshazzar forgot that his kingdom would come to an end. He was living like he had no end. The second warning we see is we allow our lives to get out of balance. Amen. We allow our lives to get out of balance. The second word that God wrote on the wall was tekel. That word means you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Now, I wish that was true in the morning when I get up and I weigh myself that I would, <laughs> I would be found wanted or wanting. My weight would be so low, I'd have to go eat something to put some weight on. That would be nice, right? But that's not what he meant. He meant, you're, you're, he said, you have been weighed on the scales and you're found wanting. Let me give you some examples of how we spend our life as Americans We eat 14,411 times on the average. And by the way, 1,800 of those times is at McDonald's. No wonder why. We spend five years waiting in lines. We attend 35 weddings. We spend 13 years and four months watching TV. We spend one year looking at misplaced items. This is the average, man. Some of you are above average, okay? <laughs> For once in your life, you've been above average. <laughs> Welcome to above average. And you will drive 627,000 miles. Now, for some of you, you're like, I did that this year, right? <laughs> My wife was sick this week, and I had to, I had to become her. I had to cook supper for two nights in a row. I had to get up and fix breakfast, fix lunches, and drive my kids to school. And I remember about a month ago, I I was working in the barn, and I saw my wife, and the van would leave, and then the van would come back. And then the van would leave, and then the van would come back. And then the van would leave, and then the van would come back. I was like, she's either blowing off steam, or she's just having to run that many errands. Well, I realized this week what she's doing. There's always something you got to go back to the daggone store for, right? I've made more trips to town than I realized than I really ever wanted to. And I was frustrated. So we do a lot of driving. The average American is constantly trying to see how much more we can fit into our day. Isn't that true? (laughs) So let me warn you with this. If you're burning the candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you think you are. You're not as bright as you think you are. It's better to slow down, step back, and be very good at what you're doing. Be very bright at what God's put in your hands. 
than to try and see how many things you can gather and think you're being bright with. Right? You with me? You got to learn the spiritual gift of saying no. Right? Because one of the warnings that Belshazzar had was that his life was out of balance. And for some of you today, your life is out of balance. And I pray that God would show you. And I pray that first you would ask him, Lord, where is my life out of balance? What can I change? What can I shift? What can I let go of to be in balance? Ecclesiastes 4, 6 says it is better to have only a little with peace of mind than be busy all the time. Can I get an amen? amen. So Daniel comes to the, to the fourth word. It was many, many tekel perez. And, and it says this, it says your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. He's saying to the king, your kingdom is divided. That's what every king loves to hear, right? The third warning we see is we ignore the warning signs. Here's how warning signs work. Most of what I'm telling you is stuff you already know, but probably aren't doing, right? So let me give you some practical warning signs. The risk of sinful choices increases. That's a warning sign. The devil waits until you're good and tired before he strikes. The risk of sinful choices increases. The second warning sign is that your, your emotions are inconsistent. You find yourself flying off the handle. As we say around my house, blowing up. Right? Your emotions are inconsistent. I am less productive. It seems like you're working harder, but you're becoming less productive. You need to take a Sabbath. You need to take a break. You need to rest. You need to be still for a little while. Can I get an amen? And the fourth one is, is, is I can't hear God anymore. Can I tell you something? I was there. I was in every one of these warning signs. When I read this, I was like, wow, so true. I got to a point in my life where I couldn't hear from God anymore. It seemed like the, the harder I worked, the more less productive I became. My emotions were all over the map. One minute I felt sorry for myself. Next minute I was the greatest thing on the planet. The next minute I was blowing up on somebody. Warning signs. Belshazzar didn't listen to the warning signs. Psalms 46.10, you, you ought to memorize this verse, says, Be still and know. That I am God. The first part of that verse is the one you all love to do is just be still. Right? Isn't that just natural? Right? You just be still. Maybe you need to turn off Facebook. Maybe you need to shut all the other voices and just listen to God. Belshazzar didn't heed the warning. Let's pick it up in verse 29. Then Belshazzar's command. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple a gold chain placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. That same night, that same night, you want to see where his pride never changed? 
is when Daniel read the warnings on the wall and Belshazzar continued to put a robe on him and put a gold chain around his neck and declared the third highest in the kingdom. What did he not do? He did not do what his grandfather occasionally did and fall on his face and say, God, I am so sorry. He didn't fall on his knees and beg God for his life and plead and ask for forgiveness and confess his sins. That's what he didn't do. I believe the story could be different if Belshazzar gets on his knees and says, wow, God, thank you so much for showing me my ways. Please forgive me. Please help me. Maybe God holds the army back. Maybe God holds the destroyer back. Right? You see, when you get a warning from God in whatever package it comes in, (laughs) you need to accept it. When you read God's word and you read something in there and your heart starts pounding and you go, oh gosh, man, that's me. Oh my goodness, you got choices to make. You can fold your Bible, set it down and run away, right? Or you can say, oh, that's a good word. I'm going to give that to so-and-so, right? Or you can fall on your knees and you can cry out to God and you can say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm a sinful man. Please forgive me. I'm full of pride. I'm full of arrogance, right? You can humble yourself. Belshazzar never humbled himself. He never humbled himself. So what can we learn from this story? Number one, live with a sense of purpose and urgency. Live with a sense of purpose and urgency. Your life matters. And you need to give yourself to something bigger than your problems. You know the two greatest days in your life? You know what those days are? The day you was born and then the day you found out why. Two greatest days in your life. The day you were born and the day you find out why you were born. Amen? Psalms 38, 39, verse 4 says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and that my life is fleeing away. My life is no longer than the width of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. Live with a sense of purpose and urgency. Number two, put first things first. Come on, isn't that just simple? Live with some urgency in your life and put the first thing first, right? If you want to get your time in order, start with the most important things first. Order determines your capacity. Always be conscious of the first part of the day, first part of your week, and the first part of your finances. You see, the Bible's clear that there's something significant about the first, When you read your Bible, the first is important to God. The first 
moment, the first thing you do during the day should be to God. He says to give me the first fruits of all of your increase. He doesn't want the leftovers. God don't want you in the afternoon when you're all spent and you ain't got no time left for him and you're exhausted. He wants you first thing in the morning because you know why? Because when somebody comes to you first thing in the morning, that means that you're important. That means that you're saying to them, if I come to my wife first thing in the morning and I grab her and I I put a big old kiss on her even before she brushes her teeth. That's love now. Right? That's when you kind of kiss with a sealed lip. I lost my train of thought. But when I come to her and I give her the first, are you with me? You know what I'm saying to her? I'm saying, baby, nothing else in my day matters more than you right now. When we give God the first fruits of our day, we say, Lord, you're the greatest thing to me. There is nothing greater than you. Lord, I will stay here all day if you want me to. I mean, how does it feel when somebody calls you first? How does it feel when the first thing they, they got on their mind is you? It feels good, doesn't it? Michelle, it feels good to God too. That's why he said, give me your first. Because you know why? Because he can see your heart when you give him the first. He doesn't, ask the, he doesn't have to ask you how your heart's doing. He sees it by what you put first. Come on, somebody. Put the first things first. Matthew 6, says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom, not your own and his righteousness and not your own and all these other things. Come on, you know what those things are? Those are the things that you're worried about. Those are the things that you're losing sleep about. Those are the things that, that are just wrecking your life. He's saying, seek me first and all these other things will be added to you. It's kind of like he's saying, if you'll come to me first, I'm going to take care of you all day long. You come give me your first fruits, you make me the most important thing to you, and I'm going to make you the most important thing to me. You with me? But what happens? Come on, you all know what happens. When we get up and we let those things steal our morning, so we get up and we're looking at our phone and I used to be in business. It would be like, what's the weather going to do today? Oh, I got to pull a I got to go here. Oh, I look at my Bible and go, oh, praise you, Jesus. And I, and I kiss my wife all the way out the door, right? And I have a crazy day. But then there's those days where I get up and I go, take my phone off in the drawer, in a box in the drawer, run to the other side of the house with my Bible and say, Lord, I want to spend time with you. And I give him the first fruits of my day. You know what happens? Something heavenly happens that day. You experience heaven like never before. You experience God's grace. You experience his goodness like never before. It's kind of like you got a, a host of angels going with you. It's kind of like, ah, and people come with problems. And you're like, ah, ah. and at the end of the day, you kind of go, this is a good day. Is that right? Y'all seen, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I don't know why I just did that. I just got, I got spiritually embarrassed just now. <laughs> but if somebody learned a lesson, praise God, because of my foolishness. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You ought to see us at home. That ain't nothing. Number three, the third lesson we learned from this story. Do it now. Do it now. What's stopping you from doing it now? I looked at my son yesterday. We had people coming to the house. I wanted him to blow the, the carport off. I said, son, I need you to go blow the carport off. He said, okay, dad. I'm like, son, I want you to go blow the carport off. Okay, dad. I'm like, I want you to go blow the carport off now. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't give you no five-minute leeway time. You're going to forget, right? Do it now. Whatever God's put on your heart to do, do it now. Don't miss an opportunity. Don't miss a chance. Don't give the devil an opportunity to come and steal an opportunity from you. Amen? Do it now. So live with a sense of purpose and urgency. You're here for a reason. Every one of you today are here for a reason. You're on this planet. You were born at this time to the family that you belong to in the city that you're living in because this is where God wanted you. This is his purpose for you to, to affect, to reach people and build lives in your world at this time in this dark culture. God made you for this time. Live with purpose and urgency. Put the first things first and do it now. Amen. Do it now. Can you stand up with me? How many of you can say that, Pastor, I need to hear that? How many of you can say that? I needed to hear that. How many of you say it feels good to know what I'm supposed to be doing? It's kind of nice when things are clear, right? It's kind of nice when (laughs) you kind of know what to do, right? God's word is clear. And his spirit is here this morning to just help us. To help us in our weaknesses, to help us in our struggles, to help us overcome our failures. He's here and he loves you and he wants the best for you. And the reason he gave us the story of Daniel is because he knew we were going to live in a day and a time where we were going to need the story of Daniel as an encouragement. Daniel remained godly as the culture around him shifted to ungodliness. He was a beacon of light in a very dark world. And so are you. I said last week, and I think it's, it's worth saying again, that there was nothing different about Daniel than there is about you. Daniel was not a supernatural being. He was not a, 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 a special forces guy of God. He was not a, a specially trained op for God. He was a normal guy like you and I who loved God And gave his life to God. And look at what he did. 
you are just as powerful. You are just as important. The world needs you just like Babylon needed Daniel today. And you got everything you need. It's already there. The only thing that stops us is fear. Lord, take that fear away. All fear leave in the name of Jesus. You're called of God. You're a child of God. You're a Daniel. Say this. Say, I'm Daniel. I'm Daniel in 2014. I dare you to say this. Lord, use me like you used Daniel in 2014. Oh, you just messed up now. <laughs> Suckers. You just prayed that God would use you like Daniel. So you know what that means? There comes some Nebuchadnezzar's coming your way. There's some Belshazzar's coming your way. There's some opportunities for you to stand on your convictions, for you to stand on what you believe. Amen. There's opportunities coming. These are the greatest days to live in. We're going to see God's power like we've never seen it before. In these days. I count it a privilege that God spared me long enough to be a part of these days. Because I'm already starting to see God just moving everywhere. Touching people in situations. Using me like, a, like, an, like, a, like an ambulance guy. Like a, what, what, what you call him? EMT. I was thinking, I don't know what I was thinking. But like an EMT where I come in and, I, and he brings me into situations where there's a life crisis. And he says, Jamie, shock him. Shock him with the love of Jesus. And he puts me with people and I get to go, hey, Jesus loves you. And it's like, Gh. those are the days we live in. You don't look excited. <laughs> Let me pray for you. Maybe you'll get excited. Jesus, thank you for the day. Thank you for this word. Thank you for Daniel. Lord, use us like you use Daniel. Use us even greater than that, Lord. Jesus, when you, when you were with your disciples, you said, guys, you're going to do greater things than me. But, but guys, you're also going to suffer like I've suffered. Lord, thank you for the days we live in. Lord, I just pray that we can just get a hold of how you see us. We can just get some understanding of, of what's inside of us. This power, this spirit that's inside of us, Lord. Help us to understand what's inside of us, Lord. So that, Father, we can take it to this dark world and just blow up this big beacon of light that shines on you, Lord. Use us, Father, in this time like we've never seen before. We don't want to run. We don't want to compromise, Lord. We want to engage this culture in love. Our weapon is love. Our weapon is love, Lord. And we, and we thank you for that. Use us, Father. Thank you for this great day that you've given us. Thank you that it's a family day and we're spiritual family. Lord, and like Kristen said, Father, we may not have been born into the perfect family, but we belong now to the perfect family. And that's your family, God. So thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness.